Now we're going to have a reading. We're in Revelation, Revelation chapter 6. We're going to read verses 12 to 17 together. It'll be up on the screen or you can look in the Bible and read along with me. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, And hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Thank you, uh, Sarah, for reading God's word to us this morning. And uh, what what a privilege it is to... Uh, sit under his word. What a privilege to be able to have the freedom to open um, that word as well and, and, and study his word together. And, and what a joy to know that Christ is with us. And uh, we pray for his blessings as we look at uh, this word this morning. So uh, let's uh, come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word. We pray this morning that you would uh, Minister to our hearts, Lord, and encourage us this morning. Lift us up, Lord, and give us a heart to share the good news, the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, if you are a visitor here this morning, and for those who are regular here, we we have been working our way through the book of Revelation. We will look at the seventh seal, and we'll see where we go uh, from there. Someone has asked, quite a few people have asked me, are we going to work our way through the book of Revelation? We shall see. How's that? All right. <laughs> what a challenge that is. Um, we also want to get on to an Old Testament book as well, so um, I've been thinking about that uh, the last few months. Well, for this morning, uh, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 17. Uh, so let me encourage you to keep your Bibles open. It will be really good because we're going to study God's Word together. It is, uh, it's good when we can study together. So, very, very, very quick uh, review, a recap, uh, so that we know where we're going, all right? Uh, let me refer to chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. We have these words. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. This is chapter 5, 1 to 5. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So we see, friends, this morning that there was a scroll that was written on both sides in the right hand of God, which had seven seals. No one was worthy of opening the scroll and to break its seal. John wept. And he wept. And as John wept, we saw that an elder said to him, Do not weep, and calls on John to behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who has conquered, is worthy of opening the scroll. 
A lion has prevailed. And he is the victorious lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. But when John looked up, he would have perhaps expected to see a lion. Instead, he looked up and he saw a blood-stained lamb. Again, symbolizing Jesus. Like one who had been slain in the midst of the throne. Here is the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ. Our Savior. Redeemer and King. This is language that is pictorial. Jesus is the Lion Lamb. Triumphant. Powerful. The picture of a conquering uh, lion. Have you ever been close to a lion? Probably not. Would you dare be close to a lion? Probably not. Would you be close to a lamb? Have you carried a lamb? Anyone here? Oh, I see one. I see a few hands going on, right? You wouldn't do that with a lion, right? But the lamb, you do it. So the lion, the picture here, is of a triumphant, magnificent, powerful Savior Jesus. And also a gentle and wonderful lamb of God. See, see the picture here that we get. So this is the language. And the, this is a picture that John is given of who Jesus is. The triumphant one, the lion, and also the humble one, the lamb. The lamb who became obedient even unto death as we read Philippians chapter 2 this morning. And we've already established that the scroll, that the scroll represented God's plan and purposes for the ages in this world. And when the Lord opened the seals of the scroll, we see that the scroll contains the history of the world and of the church. And the judgments described in the first five seals are all happening now rather than one after the other in some kind of chronological sequence. They describe and tell of the situation continually faced by the saints, God's people, until God chooses to judge the world and to bring his creation uh, to an end in that sense, to renew this world. So while the fifth seal in chapter 6 refers to the souls of martyrs under the altar, the broader understanding from God's word is that all faithful believers' souls at the point of death goes to be with the Lord in heaven. I explained that last time. What a comfort it is to know that those who have lost their loved ones in the Lord, they know that they are with the Lord. What a blessing that is. What a blessing. So we see that these souls are conscious. We see that they are with the Lord. We see that they are in His presence, chapter 6. And the best of all is that one day we will see them. For blessed are those who have died in the Lord, Revelation fourteen thirteen. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven say, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. So the saints at the altar, they cried out in verse 10, chapter 6. They, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge your blood. They cried out to the judge of all the earth, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, Will you avenge our blood? Notice how they describe this God, friends. Three things about God. Three things about his character. One is that he is sovereign. Do you believe that God is sovereign? That he is in control of everything? 
Even though we can't understand some of the things in life. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, isn't it? I tried my hands at making a jigsaw. A thou- I think it was a thousand piece thing. Uh, many years ago. And you've got to find every little piece and put it together there in that puzzle. And you get a beautiful picture after that, right? Sometimes our lives can be like a jigsaw puzzle. We don't know where the missing pieces are. And we ask ourselves the question, is God sovereign? Is he really in control? Somehow we have to see that in the providence of God, he is in control of the events in our lives. Hard and difficult as they may be. I was speaking a couple of weeks ago to one of my friends. Uh, He's a wonderful brother in Christ, a faithful minister of the gospel, who lost his daughter at the age of eight years. Been many years since. Many, many years since. And I meet up with this brother regularly for lunch, uh, catch, catch up over a cup of coffee, and we talk ministry issues, and, and he said to me recently, I said, uh, I said to this brother, how are you coping? Um, it's been many years since you lost your daughter. He said, I always think of my daughter, always. It's always in my heart. She's always there. But I believe also in the sovereignty of God that I will see her one day. It touches you, doesn't it? You say this is so true for us. Our God is sovereign, He is holy, He is true. There is none who can be compared to Him. And final judgment in this context, friends, doesn't come as yet to their cry of how long, verse 11. Each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little. White robes clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's how they have their place in heaven. And so here in this fifth seal, the souls of those who have been martyred for Jesus are longing for judgment. But judgment day is not coming yet, though they are told, because more Christians need to die as martyrs. That is a staggering statement there. In, so in response to their question, this is part two of, that, uh, of uh, this section that we're looking at this morning. How long, God? We see God's response to their question. And the response to the question, how long, from the saints is now spelt out in, as, as judgment comes. As we pick up in, on this sixth seal in Revelation uh, 6, 12 to 17. And the next time we look at chapter 7, there's a continuation, the sealing of God's people. Two things this morning on this passage. Two things that we want to see. Um, can we get that second slide? Yeah, that's great. The cosmic implications and the terrifying implications. The cosmic implications and the terrifying implications. Two things that we want to see this morning. So, um, all right, the cosmic implications here. Have a look at your Bibles, 12 to 14. I, I watched as you opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. And the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as fig leaves drop, as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. I mean, look at this. Look at the picture here that we have. The cosmic implications. Staggering, isn't it? You know something, friends? When, when, with the coming in of sin, 
the creation itself suffered. The Bible tells us in Romans that the creation is groaning as like a mother in childbirth, groaning for the renewal, crying out because the creation is affected by sin, right? And so we live in a fallen world, don't we? We live in a world that has been affected by sin. Romans chapter 1 describes to us the wrath of God that's been revealed in heaven. And we ought not to be surprised when we see people taking anti-Christian views. People who are attacking Christian values and principles. I just read yesterday an article where, where Christians were meeting to talk about marriage at a, at a hotel in Sydney. And the hotel has called out has cancelled the event because there were going to be protests against those who are speaking on the value of marriage. <laughs> so free speech, the freedom of speech itself is being attacked. There's only one side of the argument generally. And if someone speaks another view, it's been shut down, isn't it? That's what's going on in our society. We have been silenced See, friends, the cosmic influences here, implications. God's wrath will shake, will shake this, um, shake the earth. The entire cosmos will be affected, and it begins with a great earthquake. We see that earthquakes were generally connected with God, and it has particular references to the day of the Lord. For example, we read this in Joel chapter 2. Concerning the coming day of the Lord. Can we have that slide? Yeah. Joel chapter 2 verse 10. The earthquakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened. And the stars withdraw their shining. Have a think about that. The earthquakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened. And the stars withdraw their shining. So we can see in Judges 5... Psalm 78, Jeremiah 51, Isaiah 13, 24, all of these tell us, tells us, oh, thank you, tells us of the great earthquake with the coming of the Lord. The sun turned black like a sackcloth made of gold, goat hair. The whole moon turned black, uh, blood red. The stars in the sky fell to earth as fig dropped from a fig tree. I think I got a thing of, a, of some figs there. Can we, yeah. Imagine that. It just falls with a wind that's going on. It just, is that correct? The plums? Forget that. Okay. Leave it. There you go. I don't know so much about figs. Forget that slide, please. Don't look at that picture. We'll think about plum jam, right? Anyway, it was a plum job. You get my joke? Come back, come back, please, friends. <laughs> so, John, so John uses figs. Oh, man. I'll say this, friends. I can't now, because the other day, Rose bought a beautiful bottle of jam. It was fig jam. Superb jam, right? Really tasty. Anyway, let me come back to this. Shocking. Anyway, so John uses fig, uh, fig tree shedding its fruit under winter winds as a figure of speech. For the way the stars would fall from heaven as a catastrophe. Right? The sky rolled up like a scroll being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. 
let me refer to two Old Testament passages that I hope is helpful as we look at these cosmic events in relation to the end of the world. No, okay. Isaiah 34, and verse 4. All the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their host shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. And the second one is this. The sun, Joel chapter 2, 31. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You think about it. A great earthquake, the sky receded, and all of these reference points towards the day of the Lord, to the second coming of Jesus. The signs of the end which Jesus speaks of about his second coming in the Gospel of Matthew, which we read this morning. Matthew chapter 24, 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. The old creation, sun, moon, stars, sky, mountains, islands are shaken. And then we read in Matthew, in the next slide, Matthew 24. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send these angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Clearly, Jesus and John are speaking of the same event. And so here in our text... We see that the sixth seal is opened. When it is opened, Jesus returns in judgment. And when he, when he does, the entire cosmos has implications. What a picture. And the phenomena we see here, friends, is indicative of the shaking of the old order of the first creation. It is the preparation. What a moment in history in this world. You see, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ... The world is not going on aimlessly. There is a purpose. God's purpose. Of course, if people believe that we are cosmic accidents, then it logically ends in the view that life is empty. Right? If you see yourself this morning as a cosmic accident, you'll just live for this world. Emptiness. Now, if we were born without purpose and are moving towards a meaningless future, there is only despair as a response. And so the question then comes to you and me, how do we live our daily lives waiting patiently and compassionately in anticipation of his judgments? You see, we can live daily, moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, thanking him that our life has purpose, correct? That your life has meaning. That your life has significance. Because God, the sovereign one, is in control of this world. And it affects the way we look at this world. How do you look at this world? Do you look at it from the telescopic perspective of God and your worldview? How is it ch- how, what is your worldview this morning? Is it being shaped by the character, the convictions of who God is? Do you understand that your momentary life today on this 
18th day of September 2016 is a day that the Lord has given you and me to live and that we are part of his purpose and plan for eternity. Do you see your life like that? Do you see the joy of knowing Christ in your life? Gives purpose, right? I'm reading a book at the moment called Chasing After the Wind. A very telling read. And how many people, my friends, are chasing after the wind? Emptiness. They don't know where they're going. There is no eternity before them. It's just like sailing away in life. And, and I feel so sorry for people like that. I think, what's going on? You know, you see your neighbors. This morning I was driving to church. I saw my neighbors. I've spoken to this guy about Christ. And he's all packed up with his wife. And they are going along, perhaps going somewhere. I don't know where. And I was passing by them. And I prayed for them this morning. I said, how sad. If you're living just for this world, where will you be? Lost. Lost. So friends, we can live. We can live through the details of the week, knowing that all wrongs will one day be made right. And that in the darkness of this world, we can live anticipating the light of his judgment. God's purposes will come to pass. And notice the terrifying implications that we see in this passage, 15 to 17. Notice what happens to those who are not prepared to meet the Lord. Verse 15. Look at your Bibles. Verse 15. Then, then kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Seven types of people are mentioned here. The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, the slave, the free. Seven. As we know, the number seven in the book of Revelation is symbolic of completeness. It is complete and total. And in this context, we see that no one will escape the judgment of Jesus. You might be a king, you might be a queen, you might be a president, you might be a prime minister, you might be whatever. You might be a poor person. No one is going to escape. You know, when I was preparing this text, I had to take time out a few moments to just reflect. Because this is not an easy passage, right? Yes? It's not easy to speak on this. It's God's word. Because it is very telling. It has implications. Just like Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 8, the Christless world will think of fleeing and hiding from God to avoid punishment, but they cannot, friends. Look at our next slide, which is Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 18. And people shall enter, shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Do you see that this morning? The terror, the terror of our God.
Not only do, do they try to hide from God. They call on the mountains and rocks to fall on them. Fall on us. Fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. And notice the words, friends, verse 16. They call to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of the earth. From, from, of, from the face of him who sits on the throne and from... What does your Bible say on the last section there? From the wrath of the Lamb. Wow. What a, what a, what a statement that is. They call on the mountains and rocks to fall on them because of the wrath of the Lamb. All who have mocked Christ, all who have rejected Him, all who have not been covered by His righteousness, the atheist, the ag- agnostic, those who are marginalized in Christ, those who have rejected Christ, those who have persecuted these people, everyone without Christ will have to face the wrath of the Lamb. You know, this is what kind of shaped by God's grace my conversion. When my brother in Christ was sharing the gospel while I was studying and doing my science work and everything else, when I was dissecting this, the, the, the animals in the lab, I started to reflect upon where I would spend eternity. Where I would spend eternity. And nothing could cover my own sin. Nothing. So God is no respecter of persons. Is he? Is he? He's not. Even the most ardent atheist who mocks God. And we hear people having a go at Christ, don't we? We hear people having a go at Christianity. Oh yes, be aware, be aware, be aware. We pray for their conversions. We pray for their conversions. But the justice of God will come. That's the point, friends. We see that they're terrified in the face of the judgment and the anger of the, of the, of the, of the Lamb. Not these words, the wrath of the Lamb is found only here in the Scriptures. It's found only here in the text, in, in, in the Bible. It is hard to imagine a Lamb being angry. Have you ever seen a Lamb being angry? <laughs> no. It's always there, isn't it? It's like that um, kindergarten song, Mary had a little lamb. Remember that? Little lamb, little lamb, Mary had a little lamb. You know that one, right? It followed her to school one day and all that kind of thing, right? The little lamb is always very, very, very hard to see a lamb being angry. How can you have a wrath of a lamb? It's such a gentle animal. But here in this text, we see this lamb is Jesus. It's called the Lamb of God. And he's exercising his and no one will escape. Why? For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can withstand it? So I want to ask you a direct question here this morning. And we'll come to more practical applications as well. Is Jesus your savior today? When he comes, if he was to come today, will you be crying out, let the rocks fall on me? Or will you be saying, oh, Lamb of God, I want to see you face to face one day. What a joy that's going to be. 
That's the point. This is the reference of the day of judgment, friends. It is called the great day. A day will come. This is a picture of judgment day. It has finally arrived. And the question here is a massive question. Have a look at your text, friends. For the day, verse 17, the great day of their wrath has come. And the question is, what's the question at the end of verse 17? Let's say, who can stand? Who? Can you? And if you were to stand, how will you stand? Will you stand and say, Lord, look at me. Wow, what a great person I have been for you. I have been to St. Stephen's Church all my life. I have played music. I have been the minister of St. Stephen's. Surely that's good enough. Surely. Is that good? No. Get the clarity of this gospel, friends. I, want to, I mean, we heard so much about, and I encourage you to listen to the talks from Philip Jensen as well. The clarity of the gospel is very clear. You, as a Christian, you ought to be able to articulate this gospel, right? You ought to be able to understand this, that this is immensely practical, but yet has massive implications. Who can stand? Malachi chapter 3 verse 2. Malachi says this, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Who can stand? That's the question, friends. Can you this morning? Can you stand before Jesus? Can you stand before him one day? Or will you be hiding because you can't hide? So if you don't know Jesus this morning, my prayer is that you will come under the influence of the gospel today. Don't go from this place not knowing Christ. Who can stand when he appears? That's the question. But we also know, friends, from this chapter, that it is only those whose robes are white can stand before him. This morning we sang the hymn, Jesus, your blood and righteousness. And verse 3 of that hymn tells us this, uh, reads like this, This stainless robe its beauty wears, when all else fades with passing years, no age can change its glorious hue. I think that's how you pronounce it. The robe of Christ is ever new. The word hue, I think the, 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 it is, it's a reference to color or shade. Fades away, but the robe of Christ is ever new. Always. Our clothes fade away, right? You put your clothes through the washing machine many times, and after a while it starts to lose its color. Fades away. Out in the sunshine, it fades away. Not the righteousness of Christ. It is ever new. Ever new. And friends, this morning, we cannot prepare for the final day of judgment by storing up good works. We cannot rely on our own deeds. How then do we ready ourselves for the last day? We trust in Christ alone. The one in, his, in whose perfection we rest for the assurance of eternal life. The redeemed Jesus has taken the wrath upon himself. At the cross, Jesus took your sin and mine. He died for us at the cross. This is terrifying wrath, friends. And God is holding back his judgment right now, 
wanting people to repent and believe in him. And so Hebrews tells us this. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Hebrews 3.15. You see, friends, this lamb is not a cuddly little one as a helpless lamb. Jesus is the judge coming at his second coming. But this passage also should call us to pray for a heart for the lost. Do you have a heart for those without Jesus? Do you? This should challenge us to take evangelism seriously and give us a sense of urgency for time is running out. This church here at St. Stephen's, we pray, will be an evangelistic church for Jesus. Correct? Are you with me? Because here in Surrey Hills, the population is about 13,000, I think, around 13,000 people. You ponder about that. <laughs> this church, this place, by God's grace, should be overflowing. Not because of numbers, because of the gospel. So you start praying. I want to give you a challenge this morning. That includes myself. Praying for one person. Can you think of one person this morning? One, one, one. Right? Right? Maybe your family member, maybe a friend, a work colleague, a university student, someone else, one person that you can pray for, one person that you can share the gospel with, one person that you can invite to church, one person. I am praying for one person. Last week I had the opportunity of meeting with one person. And after my meeting with the person... I had a great conversation and I said to Rose, this is what happened. And she said, did you pray with him, Chris? And I said, no, I didn't. Oh, Chris, you missed the opportunity. Why didn't you pray? Doesn't matter. I'm hoping to meet up with him again. And I pray God gives me an opportunity to do that. So friends, you think about it. How God can use you. Let us not live the Christian life selfishly. Don't live it selfishly. Just for me and my satisfaction, I will eat and feast on the Word of God, the fellowship of God's people and the church, and it will be about me and myself, and I'm feasting everything of Christ, but I'm not actually giving. So we are making... Uh, if I use that word properly, fat Christians. Now someone said fat Christians are faithful, available, and teachable. We need them. But I mean spiritually, we're fattening ourselves up, but are we giving? It includes me. So ask the Lord to give you an opportunity. Invite. And finally, friends, as we close this morning, this text should also cause us to thank the Lord this morning for saving you. Can you do that this morning? Quietly say, Lord, I thank you that you have saved me. Why? I don't know. But you have saved me. You have taken my wrath of all your wrath for my sin completely. And I am yours. Can you do that? 
And then I pray this morning that the joy of the Lord will be our portion. You know, as Christians, we are the people who should have the most amount of joy, right? Yeah? Because our sins have been nailed to the cross. But sometimes it's as if we've lost all the joy. And I understand that with all the trials. But I pray this morning that the joy of Christ will shine forth in your life. Your friends, your non-Christians, when they see you, they say, Man! Wow! Oh, no, I would say that word, wow. <laughs> a man! man. That's, a, that's a camp thing you can ask. Man, there's something different in that person's life. There is something different in that girl's life. There's something different in my colleague's life. What's the difference? That guy's got joy. He's got, he's got calmness. He's got peace. I want to know what you've got. What is it that we are displaying to our world around us? Are we walking around as if the whole world has come upon our heads and there is no joy to share with anyone else? We are as if we are carrying 25 tons on our backs? No. You know, laughter. Someone said to me at the camp, what do you think about laughter, Chris? I said, laughter is the best medicine. It's in Proverbs, right? And you can't have laughter. I can understand that sometimes. But you know, joy that comes in from Christ lifts us up. It says, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that I'm with you now and in eternity. What a blessing. What a joy. What a peace. What an amazing work you have done in my life. What an amazing God you are. When you go out from this place, I'm sure John will agree with me, we want you to go out from this place saying, not about an amazing sermon, <laughs> but an amazing God we worship. What an amazing Savior we have. That's it. So, finally, friends, you know, we have all I have is Christ. That's it. All I have is Christ. Everything else will fade away. All I have is Him. God will finally answer the prayer for justice from His children who have been crying out, How long, Lord? He will do it one day. May He prepare us for that day. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the joy of salvation. We pray this morning for this lost world. Some of us may have family, children, friends who do not know Jesus. Lord, help us to gently share Christ. Help us to be a witness for Jesus this week. Help us, Lord, to pray for someone, someone, that you would use us to share Christ. That they too, Lord, will not have to hide under the rocks, but will be washed, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name, amen.